You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. In the Bible, there are recorded events where God instructs his followers about clean and unclean animals. What is all this about? These ancient laws taught Israel to differentiate between clean and unclean animals, primarily in the context of the nations around them. The unclean animals are representative of people. Israel was to keep separate from the unclean and unholy worship of the surrounding nation's gods. So right from a child we're encouraged, aren't we, to to make good decisions. Very early in life, I'd suggest we're introduced to the concept of right and wrong. And some choices are clear and obvious, some much less so, and we have to weigh things up. When it comes to important decisions, God has asked us to use the criteria of Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 10, which says that we have to, we're encouraged to, to put a difference or a distinction, a separation between what is clean and unclean and what is holy and unholy. These are the, the factors that should determine the direction that we take. And this was taught, wasn't it, um, to Israel by God through the clean and unclean laws. God was teaching them to think in a particular situation. Is this thing or this situation, is it clean or unclean? And based on that, what should we be doing or not doing? And God was causing Israel to think by introducing these distinctions between some things that are clean and some that he deemed as unclean. And they were asked to put that difference to ensure that that separation existed. And it was actually, wasn't it, a really important part of the law uh, given by God to Moses and to the nation of Israel. If we just come to Leviticus 10, we have, we have this section, don't we? Uh, Leviticus 10 to 16, uh, the laws of uncleanness. And, and I guess the first question to ask, which we've already really uh, suggested, is why were these laws of uncleanness introduced really in the first place? Um, it's chapter 11 to 15, isn't it? But, but chapter 10 gives the context. We find here Nadab and Abihu. In verse 1 of Leviticus 10, the sons of Aaron, you know, they take the censer, don't they, and put fire in it, put incense thereon, and they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to do. And then what takes place takes place. And then we come to that verse 10 that we've alluded to. God says um, that, that you may put a difference between what is holy and unholy, between what is clean and unclean. And by definition, God is saying that the error really of Nadab and Abihu was that they weren't in a position to make these distinctions because they had um, and got themselves into a situation in you know, verse 9, do not drink wine or strong drink, etc. So the situation doesn't matter, but God says it's critical at all times God's people make these distinctions. And so what God really does then, he says, okay, so Nadab and Abihu failed to do that, to put this difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. So God says, look, here are some laws. In chapter 11 through to 15, he introduces the laws of uncleanness. And all the while, it's harking back, isn't it, to chapter 10 and verse 10. You know, you look, for example, at Leviticus 11 and verse uh, 47. 
Um, it says there, um, and this is you know the chapter of the clean and unclean animals, Leviticus 11, verse 47. The conclusion of it is that you must make a difference between the clean and the uh, unclean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So it harks straight back to chapter 10 and verse 10. And God says, look, when it comes to these animals, this is the distinction to make. Uh, and so these laws include, don't they, the, the unclean animals, childbirth, uh, leprosy in a person, leprosy in a house, uh, sexually related uncleanness, such as issues of blood and so forth. And then finally, we come to the finale and the God-given solution on the Day of Atonement in chapter 16. And, we, and if we had a quick look there, we'd see, wouldn't we, that the work of the scapegoat and also the goat that was, that was killed, the goat that was for the Lord. And God was going to remove this uncleanness from Israel. In yeah, chapter 16, and verse 22, when speaking of the scapegoat, uh, there's many verses we could read, but just picking verse 22, it says, The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land uh, not inhabited or a land of cutting off, and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. And so we have this recurring theme in Leviticus 16 that God is dealing with the problem of uncleanness. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16 lays that bare. It says, and he shall make an atonement for the holy because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all of their sins. And verse 19 as well, at the end of the verse, it talks about hallowing it from the uncleanness of, of the children of Israel. And verse 30 uh, speaks of uh, this day, the priest would make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins. And so, Nadib and Abihu in chapter 10 commit their sin and God picks up this idea of, of putting the difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And then the laws are introduced, uh, the animals and, and, and those other ones that we're not going to look at. And in chapter 16, God brings forth his son, the, the solution to this, the one who would both be dead and, and be alive, these two goats in this one offering. Uh, and he would deal with uncleanness in Israel. And it's all harking back, isn't it? To chapter 10 uh, and verse 10. And just to make sure we picked up the point, uh, chapter 16, verse 1 just makes sure of that, doesn't it? The Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. So it, it sort of takes our minds uh, from the unclean laws and just takes us straight back to chapter 10 just for a moment, just to make sure that when we're reading chapter 16, uh, we're, we're in the mindset of, of what happened in chapter 10 and the death of the two sons of Aaron. And so why are we going to focus on the animals today? Well, the reason I've chosen the animals is because they are in Scripture representative of people, individuals and nations. Um, they directly represent people. Um, take, for example, uh, if you compare two passages, uh, firstly, Leviticus 11 and then Leviticus 20. But Leviticus 11 first, um, at, at, at the back end, again, of, of these laws concerning the animals we're told in verse 43 you shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them that ye should be defiled thereby for i am the lord your god ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves cleanse yourselves and ye shall be holy so the, the uncleanness and the holiness these two things coming through i am holy neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creeps on the earth for I am the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And we, we probably just read those words and ponder what do they mean in a practical way to, to the Israelite, to the Jew reading this. What would this mean? 
How would they interpret verse 43 to 45 to not make yourselves abominable with any other creeping thing? And, and I think it's, it's chapter 20 that interprets this for us and what it's really speaking about. The animals representative of people and particularly the unclean animals representative of the nations round about Israel and their gods and their false worship. Notice how, first of all, chapter 20, verse 7, picks up again this idea from chapter 11, verse 43 to 45 that we just read of, of sanctification and holiness. So verse 7 of Leviticus 20, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. So that's quoting Leviticus 11, drawing our minds back to the clean and unclean animals. And then we come to verse 22. I'll just read verse 22 to 26. So uh, a section here. It says, Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land wherein I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manner of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. So God says, You've got to make a distinction between your manner of life and their manner of life. I abhorred them and their practices. And so God says, verse 24, I have said unto you, Israel, ye shall inherit their land. And I will give it to you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God. I have separated you from other people. So here's this distinction God makes. I've separated you, severed you from other people. And then verse 25 brings us back to the animals. It says, ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean. So what chapter 20 is doing, it's interpreting chapter 11 and saying, these beasts, these unclean beasts, represent the nations round about um, that I abhor that I want you to avoid their practices and their manner of life and their gods. And it goes on, doesn't it? And, and between unclean, foul and clean. And you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I've separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me. So again, holiness and cleanliness, these two things together from Acts, uh, sorry, Leviticus 10 verse 10. But I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. So God says, I'm, I'm making you mine. I've borne you on eagle's wings. I've brought you unto myself, God says. And, and with that comes a severing from the, the, the ways and the practices of the nations round about you. And so when we come just back to chapter 11, just for a moment, we're not really going to look at the laws of the animals at all um, today, um, other than to note just one thing. Um, so Leviticus 11, um, that there's four types of unclean animals, isn't there? Or the category, I should say, they're categorized into four groups. So verse two is the first category. Um, beasts that are on the earth. Okay, second category is verse nine. Uh, these shall you eat of all they that are in the waters. Third category is verse 13. Uh, and these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. And then the fourth category is verse 20, all fowls that creep going upon all four. So verse 2, 9, 13 and 20, we have the beasts on the earth, um, those in the waters, those in the air and those that, that creep on all fours. So as I said, we won't concern ourselves with these and what distinguished the clean from the unclean, other than to note one particular thing. Yet the first time we come across these four categories of animals together, it is in Genesis chapter one and the sixth day of creation. And this is what we read here. We read there. And God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness and let them, man, have dominion over these four groups, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So these four groups are the four groups that God distinctly said in Genesis 1, are the four groups that God gave man dominion over. Man had to master these four groups. And, and so in my mind, anyway, no wonder they've done this, has come to represent mankind, because our biggest challenge in life is to master ourselves, isn't it? Ourselves as people. And have dominion over our own thoughts and our actions and our manner of life. And this is what God was teaching in Leviticus 11 and, and Leviticus 20. You have to separate yourselves from the manner of life of the nations round about you. You have to master yourselves in the, in the likeness in the, and the, uh, the image and likeness of the Elohim, the, the angels. God, that's how you are to live. Man was given this dominion to demonstrate he was in the image and likeness of God. And that's our challenge, isn't it, in daily life, to master ourselves and to have dominion, to ensure we remain truly and firmly in the image and likeness of the Elohim, to make those right decisions between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. And we all fail, don't we, which is why Leviticus 16 was needed and there and provided by God. But God will, of course, judge the effort and mindset by which we engage in this challenge and i think that this is the reason the animals come to represent the people because it, it, it is the area that man is to have dominion over but just for a moment brothers and sisters imagine yourself as a jew and israelite under the law the jewish mindset understandably became about distinguishing between themselves and the nations because that's really what leviticus 20 asked them to do wasn't it they were told to do this to prevent themselves from becoming exposed to the gods of the nations and the practices of the nations and, and the abominations of what they did. So God severed them from that, removed them from that. It was to prevent them mingling with the nations and merging with them and becoming light. And that was the initial reason for this segregation, I would suggest in Leviticus 20. As they were to go into the land, God says, I will give you their land, <clears throat> but you have to separate from them. And, and, and when you think about this principle, brothers and sisters, it was actually in our second reading for today. Zechariah 13 says this, it says, it talks about a fountain that was opened for sin and uncleanness. And then God says in verse two of Zechariah 13, that God would cut off the names of the idols out of the land. So the uncleanness in the land was associated with the names of the idols that were there in the land. And then it says the unclean spirit will pass out of the land. And so we have this connection between uncleanness and the God's of the nations and this was the, the lesson to israel initially in its initial fulfillment here under the law for them not to mingle with the gods and the idols of the nations and then and the, and the result of it, it's lovely isn't it at the end of zechariah 14 right there at the end of the prophecy it talks twice about um holiness to the lord that once god had had brought about his son back to the earth everything will be holiness separateness unto the lord and so that mingling with the nations could and did, did, didn't it lead to false teaching in Israel, idol worship, abominable practices, and so much more. And of course, this is the same principle of separation that we should be seeking to live by today in our day and generation. Remember, Leviticus 20 verse 24 said that God has separated you from other 
people, not specifically because they were the people, but because of their manner of life and their gods and what they worship. And it's interesting just to note, um, if, if nothing else, in Zechariah 13 and 14, those three key principles came to the fore, didn't they? The idea of sin and uncleanness, firstly. Secondly, the, the concept of, of the idols of, of the nations. And then thirdly, the idea that all will be done to God's holiness in his kingdom. Uncleanness, the idols and this holiness. And, and those three concepts come together in, in another passage. And, and if you just come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and I wonder, and I have no idea really, do I? But I wonder if Zechariah 13 and 14 was perhaps in mind here uh, when the Spirit penned this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, this is our challenge of separation, of distinction, of putting a difference between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. And just spot those three things as we read a few verses in 2 Corinthians, the idea of, of uncleanness, of holiness, and of, of the idols, the gods of the nations. 2 Corinthians 6 is our exhortation, our encouragement on this theme. It says in verse 14, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then it does these series of contrasts, a bit like clean and unclean, holy and unholy. It says, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial or Belial? Or what part hath he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And here are the idols that's been spoken of that are relevant to our day. For ye are the temple of a living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They should be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean. And I will receive. And there it is, this idea of, of idol worship, of uncleanness. And of course, we have in chapter 7, verse 1, the third concept of God's holiness shown in our lives, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness in the fear of, of God. And, and you have the idols, you have the uncleanness and you have God's holiness coming through. And this was God's intention, I think, in the, in the laws of the clean and the unclean to teach separation and holiness. And, and he did so through these laws this is how the, the jews were to view it but of course as we know some of the jews took this to an extreme they created an us and them situation they deemed the peoples of the nations as dogs or some did i'm generalizing here and looked down on them they used god's principle of separation to grow the leaven of pride and self-exaltation and self-importance to breed the teaching of racial hierarchy and privilege and us in them situation where they viewed themselves as better than other people. You might think of the prayer that was offered in Luke. I, I thank thee that I am not as other men or, or even as this publican. They deem themselves, some of them, as more important in God's eyes. That They, they proudly proclaimed themselves as Abraham's children. They could not accept that the temple would be cast down or that Jerusalem would be raised to the ground and be taken over by foreign occupation. The divine principle of separation here in the law and of putting a difference between right and wrong was now diverted to putting a racial difference, a religious difference between groups of people. And God's separation in Leviticus 10 was clear, wasn't it? Between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. Well, let's see this in action then, um, if, if you wouldn't mind, in Acts chapter 10. 
Um, let's just turn to Acts chapter 10. So we come to this passage and Peter now has, has a huge lesson to learn. He had to learn what, what to separate and what not to separate. And so um, a, a well-known passage, uh, generally speaking. Um, and if we just go down to verse 17, Peter sees this vision and reflects on what it meant. And Acts 10 verse 17 it says Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. This vision was was as alien to a Jew at the time or to many of the Jews at the time, where God is going, as it were, against his own clean and unclean laws of Leviticus 11, saying these unclean animals you can kill and eat. And the cloth that comes down that's that's um, contaminated, don't worry about it, is what God is saying here to them. And so just as he pondered what it should mean in verse 17, so should we. And we're introduced to Cornelius in in chapter 10 and verse 2. Now listen to this description of Cornelius, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people. He prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what what is it, Lord? And and he said unto him, thy prayers and arms are come up from a memorial before God. So here is a Gentile, a centurion, who God says, I've heard your prayers and they've actually come up as a memorial to me. And verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feared God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. And so if you or I, if we had to distinguish this man and categorize him in God's sight as clean or unclean, we would clearly, I would suggest, deem him as clean because of God's description. He sets a high standard of godliness and holiness. And he had to learn baptism, of course, and he did and would. But whilst this is going on, at the same time, Peter sees a vision. Verse nine. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the earth, these four groups that managed to have dominion over And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again to heaven. So Peter sees unclean animals and declares that he will not kill and eat because he badged them, verse 14, as common and unclean. And of course, this, this, the, first, the first one here was going to be Cornelius. Peter inadvertently is deeming Cornelius as unclean. He doesn't know it. And as he saw this unclean sheet coming down, what would he have been thinking? Well, well the Jews are not allowed to touch the unclean, and so Peter refuses. The, the vessel, you know, the sheet that it came down on, Leviticus 11, verse 32 and 33, says would also be contaminated, be unclean. And God's response in verse 15 is the key verse, isn't it? What God hath, past tense, already done, 
what God has already cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. Peter, what you with your Jewish mind deem as unclean is no longer unclean. You know, God has cleansed the things that you deem as unclean because of Jewish prejudice and, and also, you know, the, the, the laws of Leviticus 11 and 20. And this is critical, isn't it, when you just stop and think about it. At this juncture in, in the early uh ecclesial history in the first century this was critically important at this moment of time it's critical for all ages but none more so than the first century here where the gospel turns is about to turn on mass to the gentiles and the ecclesial dynamic is on the cusp of a, a complete change with a huge influx of gentiles and their culture and their preferences how would the question is how would these cultures that normally collide and contrast be knit together and united together in an ecclesial family. And the first stepping stone, of course, was to omit the prejudice that the Jews had towards the Gentiles. Not only the view that the Jews had of the Gentiles, that they were dogs and so forth, but also the laws and the traditions that the Gentiles wouldn't understand and wouldn't need to follow. So much of Romans is taken up by the subject, isn't it? The Sabbath, the meats offered to idols, the rituals, the rules of the mission are the oral traditions, how easy it would be to completely put off the Gentiles from entering the ecclesia if these traditions were imposed on them. And the weaker brother, the lesson is, isn't it, the weaker brother had to be thought about primarily at the forefront to enable true integration of Gentiles into uh, the household of faith here on this. And, and, and of course, this Peter, of all of them, the apostle to the Jews, had to learn this lesson and he had to learn it quickly. And he did. Um, he did, of course, go back on it in Galatians 2, where he refused to eat with, eat with the Gentiles and was you know, publicly um, uh, refuted by the apostle Paul there. But this was now the time for the Jews to learn this lesson <clears throat> as the ecclesia was about to go through a shift change. Acts 10 verse 45 <coughs> details what was to happen. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you think about this, brothers and sisters, if the disciples didn't get this right and didn't get it right now, then the integration of Gentiles would quite simply not have happened. The challenge of integration would exist anyway for many years with the rising, particularly of the Judaizers who rejected the teaching of accepting the Gentiles based on faith rather than the basis of the law plus the traditions they added to it and cultures. And if we just come to Acts 15, just to, to round this off, the Jerusalem conference sought, didn't it, to bring this issue to a head. And it did so very successfully. Um, at Acts 15, um, the, the challenge is there in Acts 15 verse 1, isn't it? Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, saying, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, that was an alien concept to the Gentiles, as well as being wrong. The idea of circumcision to be saved was not part of the gospel message and, and, and should never be imposed on Jews, let alone Gentiles, um, now that the Lord had come. And verse 5 says, there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So this is the dynamic in the ecclesia. And notice how this was dealt with. This is so important, isn't it? This was make or break now for the first century ecclesia. If you, the apostles got this wrong, then there was going to be a huge problem. Verse six, the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. 
And then Peter stood up and this is what he said. And this is where we're, we're back in the theme of the clean and unclean animals. Verse eight, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit. So that's Acts 10, 45, even as he did to us. And then it says, put no difference between us and them. You remember Leviticus 10, verse 10, put a difference between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. But here it says, put no difference between us and them. There is no us and them, Jew and Gentile. There was no one group is clean, one is unclean, one is holy, the other is unholy. That was the key teaching that the Apostle Peter had to get across here. Notice it is Peter, verse 7, who is given these dictates, the one who received the vision of Acts 10. He put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. It was faith that would determine the cleanliness or otherwise of, of an individual, whether Jew or Gentile. Both would be the same. And, and verse 10, now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor us were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And isn't that a lovely way of phrasing it? that we might be saved even as they have been? And, and he turns it on, on its head from what they would expect, that we've been saved. And then all well, the Gentiles are sort of bolted onto that. It's the opposite way. So they've been saved. And through the grace of God, we might just be invited to join them. And that was the mindset that they were to have. And, and so it was such an important matter um, for them to get right. There is no us and them, <coughs> was the message. They're all one in Christ Jesus. And of course, the importance of this has come to the fore again in the last few years of, of our ecclesial life, hasn't it, with the influx of Iranians and those of different backgrounds and cultures. And the lesson is important for us. We must not impose our traditions and preferences Yes, we must insist that doctrine and conduct are all maintained uncompromisingly, but not traditions and preferences. And it's critically important, first of all, isn't it, that we have clarity around what is a doctrine and what is a tradition or a preference. Perhaps we haven't had to think about that distinction so much until recently, as we just sort of get on with things as we always have them previously. But it's important now that we make this distinction as our ecclesias look to integrate those of different backgrounds and cultures into the fold and, and, and doing it in a state of unity that prevents, as, as, as Acts 15 says, an us and them ecclesia, uh, which, which must be avoided. Well, just back quickly in Acts 10 then, uh, Cornelius had to learn baptism, but Peter had a whole uh, shift of mindset to undertake, as did many of the Jews, but Peter knew his scriptures. Notice verse 28, it's interesting, verse 28. He said to them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company will come unto one of another nation. So that's what you all think. But God has showed me that I should not call any man, man or woman, common or unclean. Now, did God show him that? Well, I suppose he did, but in a way he didn't. Because verse 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, God doesn't talk about man at all. God just says, what I have cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. And it's in the concept of animals. But Peter understood from Scripture, from Leviticus, that these animals represented people. So in verse 28, what he's effectively doing is interpreting the animals as people. Um, and, and he gets it absolutely spot on, doesn't he? And now verse 17, he understands the vision um, as it's declared to him. And the lesson for him was, in verse 20, arise and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing or without discrimination. 
but I've sent them. Chapter 11, verse 12 says the same. The spirit bade me go with them without discrimination. Um, and, and so then at the end of the chapter, end of chapter 10, um, and the summary message is Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted um, with him. <clears throat> so Cornelius then is effectively just one example of the vision, a real life example of the vision, the cleansing of the unclean. And, and this is what Leviticus 10 to 16 was really all about, God cleansing the unclean. Well, what I want to do just for a few minutes now, brothers and sisters, is, is, is to look into a few scriptures that may uh, further detail out um, the process of this cleansing. Um, if you just come with me to Isaiah 34 and 35, the reading we had together, just while you go there. Um, this is all beautifully summarised, isn't it, by the Lord Jesus in John 10, where he says, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and shall be there shall be one fold and one shepherd, no us and them, no Jew and Gentile, one fold and one shepherd. And, and of course, the great leveller in this whole subject is, is perfectly stated in Isaiah 64, uh, verse 6, which is that we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The great leveller of humanity is that we're all unclean in our natural state. All of our righteousnesses, every single one of us, are as filthy rags. And that levels us. Uh, Jew, Gentile, whoever we are. And, and of course, this idea of cleanliness um, was brought by the Lord as well in John 13 when speaking to his disciples and he was clean, clean you know, washing their feet. He said, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And he says to his disciples, ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So here the disciples at the, at the mouth of the Lord, all the disciples bar one are deemed as clean, except for Judas. And so again, we see this categorization of clean and unclean is based on faith and works, as Judas was to show. But here in Isaiah 34 and 35, I just want to carry this symbology into the prophets. We have an unfortunate, I suggest, chapter break here. Um, we often read Isaiah 35. It's, it's fairly well known. Um, Isaiah 34, I would suggest lesser. Um, but, but, but we need to join them together because notice how chapter 35, verse 1 starts. Um, it says, the wilderness and the solitude place shall be glad for them. And so we have to ask the question, who is the them? And, and, and it's chapter 34, the context that gives us the answer. It's the same them as chapter 34, verse uh, look at the end of verse 16. My mouth it hath commanded and his spirit it hath gathered them and he hath cast the lot for them. And unto his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They shall dwell therein. The wilderness and the solid place shall be glad for them. So speaking of the same them. So we have to bring these two together. Well, who are the them? Well, it's, well, it's, it's verse 11 to 15. Which is strange, isn't it? So verse 11 to 15 of Isaiah 34. The them of the Isaiah 35 prophecy is the cormorant, the bittern, 
the owl, the raven, the dragons, the owls, the wild beasts of the desert, the wild beasts of the island, the satire, the screech owl, the great owl, the vulture. And what do they all have in common? They are all unclean beasts. And so this is the same symbology as Leviticus and Acts 10. And they're going to represent unclean people. So Isaiah 34 is the unclean animals. And Isaiah 35 is its interpretation as the unclean people. Notice Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees. Say to them, here's the them, those that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with the reference. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame man shall leap as an heart. The tongue of the dumb will sing, for in the wilderness shall break forth and, and streams in the desert. The unclean are made clean. Just like in Acts 10, the law made these people unclean. They could not be preached. You look in in your own time at Leviticus 21 verse, I think it's 18, something like 24. The blind, the lame and those with dwarfism. There's so many categories of people here from Isaiah 35 that the law says could not be priests because they had blemishes. And Isaiah 35 is all about cleansing these people through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever they are. Those of Isaiah 35, verse 3 to 6, are deemed unclean. It's the mindset, isn't it, of who who sinned? Was it him or his parents that he's been born blind? And do you see the point? Isaiah 34 is the natural unclean beast. And Isaiah 35 is the interpretation of what they represent, which is unclean people, exactly as Leviticus 11 and 20 did for us, and exactly as Peter did. When he interpreted the vision. And so when we look at this, friends and sisters, what's the point of it? Well, we read on to verse eight. It says, And highway shall be there, and the way, and it shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean. So here we have a difference between holy and unholy between clean and unclean. This is Leviticus 10, verse 10, outworking itself in the gospel. The the way of holiness, the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast shall go up therein. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Those who were unclean are made clean, but, but there are still unclean people. Those who walk not along the holy highway. And so who who are the unclean? It's those who reject God, isn't it? Those of verse 9 and 10, those who are not redeemed, those who are not ransomed, those who don't come to Zion with song and everlasting joy upon their heads. It's not anything to do with, with their background or race or culture. It's who they become in the Lord Jesus Christ, who we become in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Leviticus 26, again, in your own time, describes those who won't be on the highway as those those who walk contrary to God, those who are not reformed by him, it says, those who don't hearken to him. And there's such an important lesson here for our lives, isn't there, brothers and sisters? If we wish to walk along this highway, the way of holiness, where the unclean do not pass over. And so the highway here has been built specifically for those who are broken and bruised, those who others might look at and deem as unclean, those who others might glance at and walk by on the other side. Those that the law might separate and place outside the camp. 
But the Lord has made a highway for these people so that he might raise them up and set them on their way to Jerusalem rejoicing. It's not many mighty or noble are called. The highway is for those who the Lord heals. We are all as an unclean thing, brothers and sisters. We all started life not on this highway until we encountered the Lord and, and he graciously placed us there and enabled us to walk to Jerusalem with him. So what Peter is being taught in Acts 10 is no new thing. It's here in Isaiah 34 and 35. It goes back to the point we started with. It's all about faith in Christ. And I just want to see, brothers and sisters, before we conclude, I want to see Isaiah 35 in action in Mark chapter 10. So be our final passage. I want to see Isaiah 35 in action. Um, penultimate passage, I say, uh, in, in Mark chapter 10. We're introduced in Mark chapter 10 um, to the disciples who are on the highway with the Lord heading to Jerusalem. To just, just pick up on this language, uh, Mark 10, verse 32, just to set the context. It says they were in the way, this, this way of holiness, this, this highway, going to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And they, as they followed, they were afraid. And then he says, behold, we, we go to Jerusalem. So this highway that goes to Jerusalem, the disciples are on it with their Lord. They're on it because, as John 13 has said, ye are clean through the word. And then John 17 says, the word which I have given to you. So, so the disciples are cleansed. And so here they are on this highway. But notice as well, just earlier in the chapter, the interaction between following Jesus on this highway. Uh, it starts in verse 17. Um, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. So Jesus is on the highway and, and someone runs to him while he's on it. Uh, verse 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lettest go thy way and sell that thou hast and, and, and then come and follow me. And he says, you've got to follow me on this highway. Peter says in verse 28, we've left all and followed thee. And then verse 32, they are there with him. He's ahead of them. He's in front of them, like David was in 2 Samuel 15. But he's ahead of them, like the Lord was as he went into Gethsemane. And they're behind him, his disciples, following him on this highway. And we come across this way again in, in verse 52, twice actually. The way shall be there, the way of holiness. Verse 52, Jesus said to him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way, not his way, the way. Which way? Well, it's the way of Isaiah 35, isn't it? A highway shall be there. The way of holiness. No one clean shall walk on it. It shall be those, the wayfaring men. So, so remember, from Isaiah 35, we were introduced to several ideas. We had the unclean. We had the highway. We had the way of holiness. We had the blind being made to see. But the idea of them being the ransomed coming to Jerusalem. And it all culminates in this wonderful and quite emotionally charged miracle of the Lord Jesus. Because what this miracle does, it also acts as a parable, detailing the salvation of everyone who comes to the Lord in faith. Our way to cleanliness, to cleanness and holiness through this great healer. Well, verse 45 this is the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Verse 45, even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The ransomed of the Lord shall return. He's going to ransom 
those men like blind Bartimaeus, men like those of Isaiah 35. And, and look what then happened in verse 46. And they came uh, to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, so he's on this highway heading to Jerusalem with his disciples, a great number of people. But there was blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He sat by the highway side begging. So just taking what we've learned there. There's a blind man, not on the highway, there's a blind man sat next to the highway as people passed before him. There's a blind man. And the connection here to Isaiah 35 is fairly obvious. Here's the highway, here's the blind about to see, those ransom. And notice also, um, if you looked in your dictionaries or uh, concordances, the word Bartimaeus, the name Bartimaeus means the son of the unclean. And the word Timaeus, so he was the son of Timaeus, means the son of him that is called unclean. So both of the names of, of these two have within it the idea of uncleanness. And here they were blind, so they couldn't be priests. The Lord deemed them as unclean. So here is an unclean animal, blind Bartimaeus. He's unclean, he's blind. It's in his name, it's in his father's name. Where is he? He's by the highway side. A highway shall be there, Isaiah 35 verse 8 said. But he's not, as we've said, he's not on the highway. He's sitting. He's not walking. He's not walking on this highway like the disciples are in Mark 10 and verse 32. Because the disciples are clean, as John 13 says, but Bartimaeus is not yet clean. He's sitting next to it. Why? Because Isaiah 35 and Leviticus agree that no unclean shall walk there. No unclean shall pass over it. And so look what happens next. Verse 47. And this is a parable of each one of us, Jew or Gentile. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying, and him be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Isn't that a crucial phrase? He came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, well, what wilt thou that I should do unto him? And the blind man said that I may receive my sight, I may be cleansed. I may have hope of being a priest, of being accepted within the nation of Israel. And so the unclean, brothers and sisters, is made clean. Poor Blind Bartimaeus cannot walk on this highway. He just sat next to it until Jesus comes along. And with the eye of faith, because he had no literal sight, he sees Jesus and cries to him to have mercy on him. And the Lord stood still. And he had to come to Jesus. Notice that he had to make the call to the Lord. He had to go to Jesus. But Jesus stopped and waited for him to come to him. And, and then notice, as we've said, verse 52, Jesus said to him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way, the, the way of holiness, the highway. And so he, he's invited to go his way, go thy way. And he effectively says, no, I'm not going to go my way, Lord. I'm going to join you on the highway, the highway where no one clean can pass. And he's going to join the multitude of disciples from verse 32 who are following the Lord on the highway.
no longer needing to sit next to it, begging. And now he's walking with his Lord on the way to Jerusalem. This is what the unclean laws were there to teach. That in the Lord Jesus, anyone who acknowledges their need and does something about it will be cleansed. This man who could never, ever be a priest under the law now has the hope of being a king and a priest with the Lord in his kingdom. And the miracle is something all Jews and Gentiles are invited to participate in, including us. You remember where we started, that we're all as an unclean thing. We all started like blind Bartimaeus by the highway side begging. Before we were cleansed in baptism, we simply sat there watching others walking by on their way to Jerusalem with the Lord. And we are like Bartimaeus, the son of the unclean. We sat beside the way begging as others, as we said, passed by. And we called out, and we, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he does have mercy on us. He stops, he waits for us to find him. He then cleanses us and allows us to follow him in the way, in the way of holiness, the highway that leads to life. And so there's no hope is there until we recognise we need the mercy of Christ and go to him and to ask it of him. And you'll notice the key there. Thy faith hath made thee whole, exactly as Peter said in Acts 15. Put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And I think this verse 52 unlocks Acts 10. Thy faith hath made thee whole. You know, the Jews claimed Abraham as their father. And yet we know that Abraham is the father of the faithful, father of many nations. Ishmael as well as Isaac. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And our last passage, brothers and sisters, Acts chapter 3. Just before we sum up, what was Peter's first miracle? What was his first miracle? Acts 3 verse 6 tells us. Acts 3 verse 6, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And notice the language. He took him up by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked that's Isaiah 35 isn't it the lame shall leap as an heart leaping and walking and praising God in the temple so God here in Acts 3 is preparing Peter for Acts 10 he's drawing his attention to Isaiah 35 Peter's ministry was all about cleansing the unclean putting them on that highway allowing them to walk that they might follow the Lord in the way Peter's ministry was all about Isaiah 35 and this one, sis, is what the Jews had to learn from Leviticus 10 to 16. This is what the clean and unclean laws were all about. And the prophets and New Testament graciously detail how it is that we who are all as an unclean thing can be cleansed through the son of David, the son of God. This is the law as a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. It was there for their consideration, their learning and perfectly fulfilled and brought into the reality in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the scapegoat who removes our sin, the great healer of our iniquities so let's take the lesson and sisters to seek to live in the image in the likeness of god to have dominion over ourselves to master and to channel our natural desires so that we may do our utmost to be clean knowing of course that we are not and cannot be without our lord but let us try our best to put a difference between what is clean and unclean what is holy and what is unholy and we're blessed, aren't we, brothers and sisters, that God has called us and invited us to this highway to heal and to cleanse us. He set us on our way to Jerusalem rejoicing with all those who through the ages have set their face steadfast to Jerusalem. 
And we pray, God, don't we, that our journey on this highway may soon be over and our feet stand soon on the Mount of Olives with our Lord as part of the multitude of the redeemed who shall walk there. For the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And it's with that promise, brothers and sisters, that we heed the exhortation of the Spirit and Corinthians, that having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen